0: The third year that I was living in New York, I came up with an idea about renting out clothes. Then I pitched it to multiple angel investors. One of them was like the CEO of Bloomingdale's and she was like, this is the most ridiculous idea. No one wants to rent secondhand clothes. This is never going to take off and all the things that were wrong with it. It was so close to to being done, but I think I probably spent about a year on it trying to get it off the ground. And after a while, I was like, I just have to, you know, I have to eat and we have to pay rent. So we kind of just like put it to the side and in that same year, Rent the Runway was born.
1: Welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where female founders step into our world. It's a world of changemakers and innovators.
2: We're talking to women paving their own way and extracting the very best lessons.
1: We're your hosts, Caitlin Jard and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for ambitious women who are building businesses of the future.
2: So, strap in fellow lady brain, and ride with us to Ladyland.
1: Bondo-born, New York-based, Sasha Benz has her fingers in many pies. She's a tech founder, she owns retail businesses, and she's a marketing and PR guru. At 24, she moved to New York to pursue a career in fashion and styling, before she started two businesses, both of which didn't make it off the ground. Not one to let failure or a setback get in her way. She picked herself up and carried on, co-founding fashion blog All My Friends Are Models, social networking app Sync, and opened two retail stores in Montauk, Wild Blue and Baby. She's also the creative director of The Surf Lodge, Montauk's go-to destination, where you're likely to spot a celebrity any given weekend over summer. We're not joking. Beyonce was in town when we were invited. We sat down with Sasha in her beautiful Hamptons home and kicked off our conversation by asking her what propelled her to move to New York at the age of 24.
0: So, you know, it was never really part of the plan, moving to New York, but I think looking back at it, it was part of the master plan. This was the city for me. I was um, in Australia. I was a stylist. Um, I worked as an intern at Rush magazine. I didn't even know what a stylist was when I went there, but I kind of went for it and was assisting one of the biggest stylists. And, The career path just kind of naturally unfolded. I fell in love with working at the magazine and that magazine ended up becoming such a big hit in Australia. So I was quite lucky because I was in early in a small team so I kind of jumped the the ladder quite quickly. So I was styling, um, doing stuff for them. I was doing stuff for Harper's Vogue. I was freelancing. I ended up becoming the uh, fashion coordinator at a magazine called Karen which was based in um, New Zealand and they sent me to do Fashion Week one year and I remember going there and I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not kind of leaving. This is yeah. me. So I made the decision to move and it was very erratic. I Everything was great in Australia. I had a great career. I had a boyfriend, I had a dog. There was no reason to leave, but I was like, nope, this is the time I'm going to do it. So I left on my own, left everything behind and just kind of dove headfirst. I had no job, no house, no visa, nothing nothing was planned. Yeah. Ah. I, I, I made the decision and left like four weeks later and it was kind of like, go on, you know, go out on my own and figure it out before I kind of relocate Ollie and the dog and all that. So, um, fast forward probably three years in New York. I really struggled there. Just, finding a place and finding a career is so much harder mm. when you're in a city mm. where everyone is at the top of the game and everyone knows everyone and working for Harper's in Australia doesn't really translate. Mm. They're like, cool, it's in Australia, it's not here. So so um, it took a couple of years to kind of find our feet, find our crew, re you know, get our base and... Um, I started styling again, but I kind of moved a little bit more so into creative direction. It was just naturally my nature. I wanted to do more than just one part of it, a bit OCD and controlling. So (laughs) I started doing full creative direction. And then I started um, the online magazine, All My Friends Are Models, around the time of my wedding. Um, And I mean, that's a whole nother story (laughs) in itself, but that was the start of kind of working for myself and doing, you know, my own projects under my own roof and with my own creative control. And that was a bit of a start to the end. And once I launched that, I think I gained a bit of recognition, you know, in the creative world. And I got offered the job at Surf Lodge, I think because she recognised what I was doing and being a creative director at a hotel, live music venue had nothing to do with the online magazine, but she saw that I had a vision, the way I curated things, and she was like, I want to offer you the job and I want you to come out. And she knew Ollie already because um, he was DJing out here a bit. We were coming out because this was the closest place to surf and he's obviously born and bred Noosa Shores. So <laughs> he was um, he was kind of dragging us out here. And the idea of moving to Montauk was we always laugh about it. We're like, if we had to think back 15 years ago that we'd be married with two kids living in Montauk, like we'd be like, what, what? what, do, what even yeah. does that mean? I kind of want to go back a little bit mm. um, to
2: all your friends and models because that was your first sort of project by yourself mm-hmm. um, and kind of was the launchpad for your, you know, next few roles in your career. What was the impetus for starting that and what was it and what did it become
0: I, you know, I came up with the idea, I actually, it was, we were doing the guest list for our wedding, and I said it out loud, I was like, this is so funny, because I was like, look, look at all these, and it was like the politics around it, and I was like, oh, look at all these, all my friends are models, like, that's the guest list, and we realised that there was like, almost like, four or five, like, Victoria's Secret girls, just, you know, in our natural circle, and it was probably just by being a stylist, you never really become friends with other stylists, you become friends with the people you're working with, and styling, and, you know, I'm Mm. there every single day with them, so, um, I kind of thought to myself, you know, it's a funny one because I used to get that comment a lot and also being married to a model, like isn't that an awful world to be around and don't you feel so insecure? And and I thought it's kind of the opposite because I see how rough they have it and I see Mm -hmm. how, you know, flippant their careers are and money and financials and it's really tough and most of the girls that I know have, you know, a lot of, you know, insecurities and, Mm -hmm. and it's not what people think and I thought that's kind of an interesting untapped... Media form to see the mm. other side of that life and and that there is a bit of humanity to yeah. to these kind of like I guess these goddesses and um it was something that was about humanizing the beauty and and making younger girls and people on all ends of the spectrum understand a bit more about it and I was like, there's two things: one, I have this group of girls that can you know give me a bit of an insight into that mm. world, and two they all have a massive amount of influence, and mm. that's something that I haven't you know utilized either, so it kind of made sense to, to come together and get them to help me get the word out and also have their story told. And it was crazy how quickly people loved the concept of it. Even just the name in itself was just a bit more mm. sticky and people really wanted to know what we were doing and it progressed very quickly. And it was just, it was kind of like a home run from day one. And did it become something that um,
2: generated an income or was it always just a passion project for it, you? No,
0: I mean, so it was myself and my brother that did it at the beginning. Mm. Um, and it was a little scary because we launched it with like kind of like a, mm, let's just see where this goes. And instantly we had just all these opportunities coming at us. It mm. was a really hard, like which which path do we go? Brands mm. wanted to collab, brands wanted us to do events. Uh, sponsors wanted to pay us to do parties and all these different things came to us. So the thing that we kind of wanted to, brand integrity was the most important thing. So we made sure that like we kept, um, putting out good content, making sure that the partnerships are right, going into, you know, we, we expanded very quickly into, like, travel and beauty and different, like, areas of it so that we could cover a bit more of a mass market and, and different areas of that, but it instantly started, you know, having a revenue. But we we very quickly realised that we probably should have expanded and got a big team and an office and all that. But I got offered the job at Surf Lodge about seven months into the project, so it was always like I did both at the same time. And they Mm. worked very much hand in hand. We threw amazing events at Surf Lodge for all my friends and models, but it's always been a side thing for now. And I'm actually, it's funnily enough, I'm in discussion now with a couple of partners about bringing on a team to basically like you know, take to it to the next that. level. Yeah, yeah, for someone else to basically yeah. run it from an office yeah. and my, I can just oversee it. But that's kind of where I'm at with that now. So we, we're hoping to like, you know, in the next year have someone actually running it a, as an office in New York.
1: Very cool. Hmm. And before we get into the Surf Lodge, I wanted to ask, you tried to start up two companies earlier on in your career. Mm-hmm. What happened to those? So the one,
0: it's it's one of those ones where like, you know, I kick myself every day that I never really pushed hard enough to get it happening. Um, but I d- definitely did as much as I could. It was probably the third year that I was living in New York. I came up with an idea about renting out clothes.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that old chestnut.
0: <laughs> I, I'll bring out the folder of oh. the business pitch and everything. And I, um, it was called as you please rent as you please. And you know, mm. things are only meant for one night stand and all that kind of stuff. And I pitched it to multiple angel investors. Um, one of them was like the CEO of Bloomingdale's and she was like this is the most ridiculous idea no one wants to rent secondhand clothes this is never going to take off and all the things that were wrong with it. I went to probably about 30 different meetings you know trying to get money behind it because it's something they did and then I thought you know what fuck it I'm never going to get someone to believe in this I'm just going to do it myself so I ended up putting out an Adam Craigslist I hired seven interns I was in an office building at that time which had like a common workspace and that was our office and they came in every day and we built the site we took photos of all the pictures and then we ended up reaching out to, like, influencers. That's actually how I got friends with, you know, became friends with one of my best friends now. She was an influencer and I was like, do you want to take these bags to Fashion Week and you just say you rented it from us and we mm. tried all the different angles and it it, it was so close to, to being done but I just didn't have the money. I didn't have the power to do it. It was not going to create revenue and I think I probably spent about a year on it trying to get it off the ground Mm. and after a while I was like, I just have to, you know, I have to eat and we have to pay rent. So we kind of just like put it to the side and in that same year Rent the Runway was was born. Wow. Was which is nutty. Ask,
1: was the market ready at that time or was it because there was some competition? They, out there? they,
0: you know, they obviously knew the right people. I think they met mm. with DVF or something and mm. that's kind of like the, how it all unfolded. And it's, it's kind of what New York's about. You've just got to know the right, it's, it's the right place, right time. You can have a great idea, but if you don't know how to execute it, and I don't believe like, even just with the store that we opened, like Ollie said to me yesterday, he's like, I think if we did this last year, it wouldn't have been the right time. Like everything is the—it's supposed to happen at the right time in your career when you've got the right amount of this and that and mm-hmm. everything falls into place and that wasn't where you were supposed to be. And it's all a learning curve and I'm super grateful for all the experiences that worked and didn't work because you understand who you need to know and what you need to do and what was the things that went wrong. So it's, it you know, everything's everything kind of balanced
2: out right. Everything happens for a reason. And I think it's good to kind of hear these stories because people
0: don't often hear about all the failures. I'm yeah, like, my know, my dad actually says <laughs> to me a few times because I pitched it to him too and he's like this, this and he kind of sat with me and he was like super business minded and he was like X, Y, this is why that wouldn't be a good company. Right. I was like, interesting. I'm like, remember that idea that's now that like had, a, yeah, yeah, a it's billion huge. dollar company, but yeah. Mm.
2: You know. Crazy. Tough <laughs> one. <laughs> Your next kind of role and what you led you out here was the role at the Surf Lodge. Can you tell us a little bit about what the surf lodge is because for our Australian audience they might not be familiar. It's such a
0: tough one to explain explain in words. I honestly think that it's more of an experience. I say this to a lot of people and everyone's like well please explain it because we're (laughs) we're in Australia but it's the most unique live music venue. It's a restaurant, it's a hotel, it's on the water, the sun sets perfectly every night. The people that are there are every creative artist, celebrity, you know, anywhere from left and right. And it's just mm-hmm. perfect vibes. Like there's there's a really nice energy there. Um, the bands that play are top tier. The food's amazing. Everything about it is great. And it's just got such an amazing reputation of doing such great events and partnerships. It's pretty unique. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it. My job, was coming in as the creative director and it didn't really have any set, you know, list of things that I had to do. I just had to be responsible for the heartbeat of the creative side of it. So it was brand partnerships, doing pop-ups, collaborations, room, decor, setting up an event, you know, doing a mural on the side of the building, anything that was just kind of fun, you know, around that. And when I say fun means an awful lot of work and emails and phone calls, but, you know, on the outside, the glamorous side of, of what you see
1: pretty yeah. much. And can you tell us more about how that opportunity came about and why were you the right person for that? Did, were you able to pull on the experiences, your network that you'd built up with the blog?
0: Definitely. I think that's why. So so Jayma, who's the, the owner of mm-hmm. Surf Lodge, she, um, she's not like any person you've ever met. She's a visionary beyond any our years and, and the way that she runs that place I don't think anyone else could do it like she does. And she approached me. She knew that we, what we were doing and Ollie had been coming out there um, for a number of years, just DJing and doing things. So we had already had a relationship with them. And she saw what I was doing with the blog and the the job was, you know, available at that time. And she was like, I would love you to come out and do it. It's super unique. It's not like anything I've ever done. And um, five years down the track, you know, we're still there. I just left lunch with her now and, um, you know, things have worked perfectly. My job's evolved. Over the years, and you know, different people come in different places. But what I'm still doing there is the same thing. It's just you know the the, the partnerships more so than anything. It's an amazing place.
1: Yeah, it's cool. it is hard it's, to explain. It is hard to explain, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah, it's 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 and and you can have a very different experience every time you go there. Saturday yeah. night is very different to a Sunday brunch or a Wednesday, which is completely family vibes. There's hundreds of kids running around and a jumping mm-hmm. castle and face paint. And then on a Saturday night, it's like heaving, lying at the door, you know, people trying to get drinks at the bar. It's it's nuts. It's actually, you know, there's all these different things that take place there. There's like a whole wellness vibe. There's the hotel side of things, the restaurant, everything. There's so much going on mm-hmm. at any given time. I think that's what's amazing is there's something for everyone there. How do you think that um, the Surf Lodge has been able to position
2: itself in that way? Because I can't tell you how many people, even in Australia, who have visited New York or lived here, mentioned the Surf Lodge when I said we were coming to the Hamptons. Even people in the city were speaking about it. Like, it seems to be a cult, iconic um,
0: venue. How, How have you done that? Montauk? Surf lodge put Montauk on the map. Mm. So it's it's been here for 12 years. It really put Montauk on the map and Montauk is has become a huge amazing like travel destination. And I think as a result of it being the start of something massive, it's responsible for so many businesses and people and artists and then people coming out here and I think that you know obviously with the thrive of social media like that's now so much it's just it's it's got so many amazing influential people coming through it, it's a no-brainer that it would become globally recognised. You know, it was like that even before, you know, social media was such a big thing, but now more than anything... Everyone across the world hears about it, knows about it. You know, we have a lot of people that come to us saying, you know, we'd love to do, you know, a post in exchange. Mm. I'm like we don't pay for any any social media. Any, you, know, you don't need to. Everyone comes there and they enjoy the experience. They, it's so aesthetically pleasing and, yep. and physically pleasing that it's people talk about it. You know, when you have a good experience somewhere, you're going to pass it on, and it's like that Chinese whisper where it just right. it spreads. And it's it's. I think that was. You know there's no secret formula to it mm. if it's a good place and it's successful and people enjoy it, people will talk about it.
1: What have been some of the most powerful or most successful brand partnerships that you've done there over the last five years? Um,
0: we had a we've had a really good relationship with revolve, so right back in the early days when revolve was still you know, growing and small. I actually had to Google who they were when they first reached <laughs> out to me, which is funny, but, you know, and then after that, they did Revolve in the Hanson. We did stuff with them. We've done a lot of stuff with, you know, Missoni, BMW is a big partner for us this year. Um, Topshop. I mean, the list goes on. Right. Fendi, you know, everyone... Every event is different in its own way. And we, you know, some people say to me, like, what's, how do you, how do we host an event? I'm like, you tell me, what do you guys need? What do you want to get out of it? Do you, you know, and we can tailor anything according to the brand, whether it's a, you know, a truck on the beach or life-size Django or photo booth or anything. Mm. It's just, everything is just kind of, it just, we have the flexibility to kind of create a a moment as opposed to just like Mm. a traditional event.
2: Where do you draw your inspiration from? for new events, new ideas, new
0: partnerships? I think it's just having, you know, understanding who the brand is. So if I'm, you know, depending on who the brand is, you know, I would pitch something very different for Fendi that I would to Topshop. You know their audience. It's you know, you kind of have to listen to to what their needs are and just kind of know what your, I guess, elements are as well, what I can do and what my limits are. And that's what I used to struggle a little bit with in Australia. I feel like out here in Montauk, the sky's the limit. Whereas when we went back to Australia, a lot of the brands liked to kind of fit inside the square that they've done and they're like, this is what we've done before and I found it a lot harder to translate what we did out here going back home, whereas coming out in Montauk, like the brands, the budgets, everything's like limitless and mm. everyone's like, you know, yes. let's drop things from the sky and, you know, everyone wants to be bigger and better and louder. So, I, you know, that's kind of the, the, the best part about it is that, Everyone here really wants to make a noise, and they come to you to do it. So you have a bit mm-hmm. more freedom. What a fantastic environment to work in! Mm. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> limitless <laughs> <of> budget, limitless
1: <laughs> creative, beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's
0: fun. Honestly, I feel pretty blessed. Like we have, but it's a pretty good gig. Yeah, definitely.
2: So, so. want to switch gears a little bit mm-hmm. um, to talk about your new business, Sync. So you were working at the Surf Lodge when you had this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, You were meeting people all the time and your contact information was like on your emails and on your phone and all over the shop. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little
0: bit about how the idea was sparked, what the business is? Yeah, absolutely. So the concept came out of necessity. I was meeting so many people. I remember at the end of the first year, someone's like, oh, you must have the most amazing contact book. And I was like, I do, but I don't. There's no black book that I reach into. It's all jumbled names and emails. And I sat with my and I was like, all right, let's collect, go through my emails. I think it took us like an hour and a half going through, send out a, you know, let's, I'd love to do business with you and blah, blah, blah. 50% bounce back people move jobs and it was just, I was like, that's nuts. That's nuts that I'm like losing contacts. A relationship is massive these days. Mm. You know, people spend years trying to shake hands with some of the people I shake hands with and I can lose that because I didn't put their number in right or they, you know, I lost Mm. their business card or anything and it just, it seemed like a really flawed, you know, pain point in in a lot of people's lives. So, you know, I I pitched the idea to a friend of mine who's been a mentor of mine for many years and I've always flung ideas towards him and he's always like, ah, yeah, the thing. And then the first time he was like, wow. We're going to build this. This is amazing. And he came a week later with um, Mike, who's the technical co-founder as well, and he was like, this guy's going to build it for you. And we just started building this business card database contact book that was like, you know, it was like the the broad idea of like not being able to lose anyone's details. If you Mm -hmm. connect with someone, you get their full card. When they change jobs, you know, it's, it's updated and it's just really clean and, you know, nothing's lost. Um, So that kind of was born and we're about to relaunch it. So what you're seeing in the app store now is, I guess, like Sync Mm 2.0. So it's um, your contact book and then group chats. So the group chats that you can have with people is super organized. There's a, you know, you can have a group chat. You, You know, I know we call it group chat fatigue. The bigger the group, the more. Of a migraine, it is. So true. You don't know half the people in the chat. So, true. so we've kind of done this intellectual way of monitoring a group chat. There's different chats that can take place. So, say you're a part of a wedding group, it will be um, directions to the thing. Gifts, or, you know, you can separate your chats and there's also like a main post for the main information. You can add people, you can mute people. So if I don't, you know, if I want to have a group chat but I just want m- me to be giving the information, you know, there's just all these different ways that kind of clean it up. Um, so that's kind of what you see now and then we're building a really cool, um, I guess, the next, I don't
1: know if I'm allowed to talk about Yeah, that. come on, share yeah. something. It's, it's it's more a, we, can, we can
0: hold it for a little while too. It's, it's, to yeah, it. it's more of a, um, a live geo chat. So you could walk into the Surf Lodge and opt into the live chat that's taking place at the Surf Lodge and suddenly you're part of this big Surf Lodge chat and you can communicate with all the people that are there and, you know, they can be like DJ said it too or what's this song and everyone's kind of communicating at the venue and then when you leave, you automatically leave and I mean the the business opportunities around something like that are endless, you know people that are there, celebrities can communicate with people at venues and it also drives people to stay at a venue knowing that there's a chat taking place and you also don't have to commit to a group. So when you leave, you're
1: You're out. out. Done.
0: Done. So that's what we're building and it's going to take a little bit more time to get the live geofence kind of perfected, you know, you don't want the Snapchat dick problem that they had at the beginning (laughs) taking Uh, place. So there's a little bit more fine tuning before we take that to the public but that's kind of the next step and the idea of this kind of all-inclusive you know, you it's it's a better way to communicate and connect with people and keep those relationships long-term mm. and then also short-term, you know, just fine-tuning that. So that's what we're building. So we've kind of been a little quiet while we're trying to perfect that. Mm, yeah. and that's kind of where it is. It's a slow process, but mm. it's a very, very different project for me. Wow. Yeah, so talk to us about that because mm. you were in fashion and, you know... I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> it's such a weird one, but, like, it's it's... It was so frightening going into it. Mm. I found the first pitch, you know, it's super business, much more formal. I have investor meetings, you know, I'm going in with it's, its numbers and stats and all that. But it was, I loved learning new things and learning how to do things, you know. It's not that I like got to the peak of my career and I was like, oh, I'm bored, what next? But it was just like, Let's figure out something else and something new and 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 you can always, you know, it's I think this project taught me more about business and life and relationships and you know, meeting people and actually being responsible for other people's money and Mm. and investments. And you know, it was a project that even though like I'm running this company it's it's so many more people are involved in it we've got like 10 investors and we're trying to get you know do a funding round and all of it and and having tom who is you know my mentor at the time doing a project with him for me was the most exciting thing because i finally got to work with someone that was such a mentor mm. after so many years and seeing how he operates in business and it's it's been great you know I, i've i've enjoyed it it's a different world
2: how did you upskill in the tech lingo and
1: all of that? Is like, that what you leave your technical co founder to? Oh, <laughs> we, yeah, he's, I,
0: I always bring him in. I'm like, oh, let me take yeah. this conversation. Yeah. But, you know, you, you learn we it do. very quickly. It takes one or two conversations to hear how it works. I actually, you know, every time I was always very like, I, I don't think I've got the right knowledge for this. And, and Tom and then boys were like, no, no, no just mm. see how you go. You'll be fine. And one of the first um, investor meetings, I was like, I was up all night. I was like, I had like palm cards. It was like my first project I'd ever been at school and I was like reading it and practicing. And I was like, so like, I remember walking in. I said, I was like, like, I'm so nervous for this Mm. meeting. This is, these people are so foreign to me. And he goes, I, I just remember it so clearly. He says, as nervous as you are to talk to these people, they are much more nervous to talk to someone like you. So as foreign as you think you are, it's the other it's, way around. And reverse. he's like, it's just, it's kind of like that whole thing, like picture people naked. And it was a really nice thing. You just, you know, like yeah. I'd rather go in and fail and be like, oh, I'm not good at that. Yeah. not know.
1: But also it takes practice. Like everything yeah. takes practice. You're never totally. going to nail it the first time no, around. I
0: walk into an investor pitch now and I'm like, all right, let's get this done. Right. But like, this is like, you know, 30 of them down, you get to a point, there's no other way to get there. You would know, ne- you know, even if I was good at this, I was never going to work into my first and nail it like I would mm. 10 down, you know? So how many no's did you get in that investment
2: process before you got a Yes.
0: You know what? I was pretty good at selling the dream at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so that was actually a lot easier. Once we built the actual app, it was a lot harder to get people on board because you had a project, mm. a, you know, they were a little, more, a little bit more, you know, I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it. Whereas before I was like, we're building this thing, like come on board, be part of the project. And that was a lot easier. Mm. But, you know, it's, it's more no's than yes's. Mm. like I've probably taken, you know, 100 to 200 calls and we have 10 investors. So you do the math. <laughs> <laughs> and it's time it's really like by the end of the call and I and I said to the you know I would go into the city and and do like 10 meetings and after a while I was like I can do six at max because it's like draining you give everything and then afterwards you feel like you know you just do a work out it's a lot yeah and how
1: long do you have to massage those relationships for I mean I would assume you don't just go in and pitch it and they give you the money no does it look like that? no no not at all (laughs) and most of the time you know we've been it's
0: it's much more of a family and friends like people that we know um there's been a couple of cold like you know angel investors or big companies, but most of them are a friend of a friend that comes through the recommendation and, you know, you do a call, you do an email, you do that and then you do it in person. And, and, it, and it's kind of nice because I have a, a good relationship with everyone who's involved and they it's a kind of like a mutual trust and everyone's been very hands-on in the process. Mm-hmm. So they don't just sign a check and walk, walk off. They they We do calls once a month and... You know, they do beta, and they come back to us with ideas, and I'll speak to them one on one, and that's kind of it's. It's I prefer it like that because it's it's a little bit more um, engaging with the Mm. people that are part of the company.
2: Yeah, we. I can't remember who said it, but someone that we've interviewed said that you don't want just
0: money; you Mm. want the right money, yeah, the right people. It's all very strategic, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know that you you want them to be invested financially and physically. You know they they want to. Build the company and make it grow as well. So you don't want them to walk away and be like, Oh, where's that money? You know, they they want to be like, hey, I've got someone that I think would be great for you know, and they they're they're, you know, introducing us to people and, and getting people on board and they're kind of believing in the company too. So that's that was a big thing for us with, when we were like figuring out who to reach out to
2: So when you went to these investors before you had a product or even when you had a prototype early stage product how did you negotiate um the
0: process in terms of equity that how- was that was all dealt with with my team they had everything mapped out the the three guys that i am working with had an incredible background in doing mm. this so they knew everything i i, I would have been like I, because that could be
2: tough. It's like really tough. How, how do you value a business that has no
0: That's a that's a big that's like a loaded question. Valuing a yeah. business is very you have to be very smart there's a fine line. You you know, overvaluing a company is probably the the biggest fault in startups because you have to then, you know, Make that money back and prove that you're worth that, and and you'd rather. So we actually undervalued the company right at the beginning, and you can kind of strategically figure out, you know, if this is worth this, and you have this many users, and there's a little bit of a formula, but Mm. really, it's it's Mm. you know, you can you can say, you know, this is worth that, and see, you know, if you can convince someone that it is, and that's kind of the process, and that's why it's very interesting. A lot of these companies are just valued at this, and there's there's you know, it's just a, a number at that point. So
2: I'm interested, once you had the app, how did you go to market? How did you get
0: those first few hundred, few thousand users? Right. I mean, it was, we did a launch mm-hmm. and we kind of made it a little bit public, made a bit of noise. Mm-hmm. We, we were quite lucky where, because of my position at Surf Lodge, I had a lot of people reaching out to me naturally. So doing press interviews, it was New York Times, we we had like Forbes, all these different people kind of connecting to us. Um, So getting those articles out was the the best way to do it because people were reading and it was people that I wouldn't normally connect with. But, Mm. you know, doing an event and having influencers and people post about it, it was, was, that was more my world than anything. Like the go-to-market strategy was kind of where I stood in. Mm. And then we Went out and tried to build relationships with bigger companies. So we had we were we're very fortunate that we partnered with WeWork very early. Yeah, um, they approached us and were like, "We love what you're building, and mm. this is kind of what we need in our company." And we did an event with them, and and that's when we realized very quickly it was more about it was less about the one-on-one and the idea of that meeting people is a community thing. Mm. So you you meet people within communities, and everyone's part of a group and a chat. And that's when we started building the chat. So everything kind of fell into place after we launched and we figured out what was the next step and what we needed to do. So WeWork was a really big pivot for us, realising that it wasn't just a one-on-one phone number exchange, it was like a group exchange and finding mm. people in groups and, and stuff like that.
1: And I was going to ask, how are you going to relaunch? Because now you've obviously you've added some new functionalities to the app. Has the target customer changed again? Um, not, not really. So the people that we're we're basically gonna reach out to communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so the
0: Summit, Soho House, we work and if we can get these bigger communities to start communicating with their groups through this app because it's clean, it's organized, you know, you you don't have any lost information, all of that kind of thing. You know, WhatsApp's a phenomenal app, but I have twenty different chaps with numbers in it that I don't know who the mm-hmm. people are, mm-hmm. and there's ting ting ting, all this stuff like so the idea of trying to pitch it to these amazing communities that can utilize it and this will be valuable to them. And then starting from that and, you know, going a bit more mass market, throwing another event, you know, once we're ready and and that was one of the things that I learned very quickly was making sure that the product is perfect is so much more important than just quickly getting people to use it. You only get one first impression and, you know, the idea of making sure that it's pretty close to perfect and then we'll really start to make a bit of noise once that's built properly. So that's kind of why we're, we're we're taking our time with the relaunch.
1: I mean, it's interesting advice because we're often told to get it out there, mm. don't make it perfect, you know, iterate. iterate, Yeah, but you're kind of saying the opposite.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, it really depends what it is. I mean, the truth is, you know, getting it out there as opposed to sitting on something and someone else mm. comes with the idea is also there's risks in everything. But for me, I want to make sure that, you know, we're in a world where if you download an app and it doesn't work, you're not going to use yeah. it again ever. Totally. Yeah. Uh, if I try to download it, it doesn't turn out. I'm like, Oh, next, next one. Like, so you, it's, it's kind of like that world that we're living in. It's like, everything's just swipeable next, mm, next, next. Sure. So we want to make sure that what we're giving to people and when we finally get people looking at it, they're going to stick to it and it's sticky. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And aside from those partnerships with say WeWork and Soho House, how will you grow your database day to day, month to month?
0: You know, I'm going to go back to like the same idea with Surf Lodge. If it's good and it's valuable and people enjoy using it, you know, they'll tell someone or they'll Mm. add with someone or connect with someone and use it in their life. So that's the the overall, you know, hope that if it's good enough, people will talk about it the same way as Instagram and Uber and all that. You know, one of our first investors was, you know, Uber employee number three. So he's been very valuable to us in talking to us about what works and he's like, honestly, I was like, what was, how did you guys get millions of people using it? He goes, it was an app that was helpful to people's lives Mm. and it was better than what they were currently using. So once one person used it, they used it and, you know, it, it just went like that. So that's the idea. If we can kind of get you know, it's easier said than done, but if it works Mm. and people enjoy using it, hopefully they'll tell the next 10 people in their network and vice versa. And it just goes down like that.
2: Mm. And I guess it is solving a real problem. Mm. So, you know, it's a solution for a real problem that people experience day to day. And I also think it's really interesting that you've decided to tap into businesses, communities, Mm. corporates, et cetera, because Mm. that's almost like, um, uh, amplifying your opportunity to
0: tap into their communities, which will right. in turn grow it. You right. know, so. yeah. and, and not just you know, it doesn't need to be the coolest communities out there. It can be the Pekingese lovers of Los Angeles, like whatever right. it is, you know <laughs> mother's group. Could be anything. Exactly. You know, I realised the other day that I have no way of connecting to any of the people in my kids' school. Right. You know, and I, when it was the in time to invite them to the party, I had no parents numbers and that. And I was like, if I just Such had... Such a good point. You know, there's so many different ways that if I had everyone's information and everyone's email and Something in one place, and I just sent it. You know, it would be a lot easier if we could just simplify the way that we kind of find people and connect with them. So totally.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because I think again, someone said to us in one of the interviews that part of the reason they believe they're successful is because of the things they've said no to. Mm. So it's almost like how do That's you a tough one? To it's how, how do you navigate do you know. which
0: opportunity to pursue versus not? How do you qualify that? You go with your gut. Mm. And and advice. I mean, you know, asking questions is better than not. So yeah. That. How do you deal with all three? Businesses at well, the moment. Well, <laughs> that's. Must not, be hard. Struggle with the juggle. That's not, I mean, opening the store. So a four, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, so that was not planned at all. Um, but opening the store, that for me was the most batshit crazy move because I was like, I'm already so busy. Um, but the store for me was such a natural progression of everything that I've done businesses, styling shopping, like right. yeah. <laughs> my, my, life, my life experiences. So I've got a good team around me. I've become smarter at learning how to hire people that are similar to me, but also better at certain things that I'm not good at. So I know where I can, you know, I'm, I'm very hands on with everything that I do. I definitely feel like there's this part of the year where it's wild. I don't sleep. I am never stopping. I never have any, do anything for myself. Um, Fitting in an interview is tough. Like all that kind of stuff is really difficult, but I know where it starts and where it ends. And I know Surf Lodge, where it starts and where it ends and all my, you know, everything. I've tried to figure out a bit of a balance. I definitely like jump between tabs and, you know, probably should have not taken on one thing. But the idea is that they're all such different projects I don't know where one will end and where the end goal will be for any of them and it's nice to kind of do it now I'm not going to be 65 running 35 companies right. mm-hmm. I want to just kind of like while I've got the energy and while we're living in this crazy and it's not burning me out yet why yeah, not you've
1: got to do it got to yeah try but it. I
0: have a very good team around me and my husband's incredibly hands-on with the kids where I can't be and you know we've got such a good team that I think that the balance is pretty good and it's definitely a crazy, crazy, crazy world to live in. Mm-hmm. When, I, I mean, it's, it's I can't even, I, I, even the people around me, like I don't really get it, how it's all working and how it's all fitting in, but it does and touch wood, it's still working, so.
1: yeah, Can you tell us more about your team and how do you find good people to surround yourself with? You know what the funny with? thing
0: is, is that I've had a really good success rate over Instagram. Really? Um, yeah, and I was always very, yeah. you know, even with like, for hiring a nanny and all that I've I've gone through traditional HR and all that and it just never seemed to right I found that the people that I find on Instagram when I'm like look I'm looking to hire they're people that understand our world they've followed me they've understood my journey they know about all the projects they know about the kids they know about where we live and it actually is much better for them coming in than someone that just like applied for a position at a company and mm. they don't know anything about mm. our world. So we've been pretty lucky with that. I always go with my gut when I meet someone, you know, if we vibe and we get on well and I'm, I'm very informal when it comes to hiring. Um, we have a really great relationship. It's a lot of overlap. You know, if someone works for me, they're also great with hanging out with me with the kids and yep. socially and, you know, Without blurring the lines too much, like it's always like just a, it's a, a family. Much more, and you said 100%. that, hundred percent. I mean, 100%. I mean the girls working, working 100%. here, hundred yeah. percent. It's a complete family vibe, um, and that's always worked really well because there's like this mutual trust. You know, mm. they're not just working for the money; they're working for the relationship, um, which is big, um, and knowing that there could be longer-term goals. And and you know, you know, it doesn't just go from this job to this job. Like a lot right. of the overlap in different mm. companies. Um, so, I don't know, we've just we've been pretty lucky and you know, there's a couple of home runs and a couple of misses, but yeah, <laughs> you That's know, it's worked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What have been some of the misses? What have been some of your biggest setbacks or failures and how did you overcome them? I don't think
0: we've had a really bad setback. You know, maybe hiring someone that was wrong at the time and, and a couple of, you know, it's, it's wasted time or you had to do a lot of damage control because the things they've done is wrong and we had one or two bad nanny situations where it just didn't work out and it was time wasted with us, with the kids and emotionally mm. you, you kind of, you, you feel like you set, set back a little bit. But other than that, you know, we, we've, we've been pretty lucky that like things have run. There is no, I can't, smooth is not the word, but things have, have, have always worked out. So the process is not smooth, yeah, but it works out. So I think yeah. we're good at figuring out damage control and figuring out how to move past it quickly instead of dwelling on, you know, something going wrong in a business or, you know, whatever. But everything, um, you know, everything always seems to work out in the end. Mm.
2: I think I've read somewhere in a previous interview that you've said one of the hardest things to deal with is... Um, when you invest all of this time and energy into something that doesn't come to fruition, or invest all of this time and energy in someone and they don't end up engaging with your business, how do you kind of
0: how do you navigate that, and how do you determine
1: up when to cut or, your losses? Yeah, almost? you
2: yeah. don't
0: you don't know what's going to work out and what doesn't, and you don't know what conversation. I mean, when I think back to the the you know the partner that I was telling you about that. I remember I met him at Summit and we were sitting next to each other at a table almost like kind of having separate conversations and it was a shoulder bump and I turned around and it could have been like oh sorry and then that was it but then we ended up having a chat and he kind of engaged me and we and I I think back to that moment mm. and it could have been nothing, but it could have also have been something. something that changes your life. So totally. you have that conversation. If it doesn't, you shake it off. If they don't invest or they don't engage or, you know, they move on to someone else or, you know, give someone else the opportunity, it's it's not a big deal. There's someone else around the corner. It's a very big world that we live in. So, you know, wasting time on something, it's never really a waste of time. It's an experience. It's mm. a lesson learned and you move on. What advice would you
2: give to yourself 10 years ago if you knew everything that you knew now?
0: I, I honestly would say don't sweat the small stuff because I definitely do. But this is a quote that I've lived by. I heard a podcast. Uh, it wasn't even a podcast. It was just like an ins- inspirational speaker. And I, I really believe in this. And the end result, and it was so, such a moving piece, but he was like, relationships mean more than money. Mm. And that's a big one. So sweating the small stuff is is obviously like an overall thing that I think I do too much. I think about things too much. I'll dwell on it and, you know, I could probably shake it off a lot quicker. But I think maybe that's part of the reason that I have success is because I do worry about the things that maybe most people don't. And that's mm. what puts us up ahead, you know, the things that most people don't see, but the relationships is, is a big one, you know, making sure that you nurture and build relationships and not worry about money because money comes and goes, but relationships are really hard to build and they're really easy to break. Mm. Um, so that's a big one for me, you know, making sure that you have those good relationships in, in your team, in your family, in, you know, friends, all that. Cause having a good support network is big. And every time Mm. you, you know, every time we do anything, you know, I think back to yesterday, we, we did a launch for the second store and obviously people came, but the people that were there and I looked around and was like, those, that's our crew. And that's the Mm. people that believe in us and they will always show up and they will always answer their phones in the middle of the night. And you know, once you start to build that and it was a combination of family work and everyone was just there. And it's, I think it's because we're good at building those relationships and being true to our friends and and making time for them and vice versa. And, you know, it's not just all about you and the money and the Mm. business, it's about like, you know. About other
1: people. Yeah, exactly. So
0: I think that's a big one.
1: um What what advice would you have for young women wanting to start businesses or even change industries? Do you have any practical takeaways from them aside from, you know, kind of networking and looking Uh, after other people? I mean,
0: as women you have the ability to be multiple things. You can be a mother, a wife, a businesswoman all at once. So with work, it's the same thing. If you can manage doing all those different things, you should be able to manage multiple different hats and and different areas in a career. So if you think that I'm a banker and that's all I can do, try something else because I think that as women, we're very capable of doing a lot more than mm. we realise. Um, we're a lot more durable. I think our pain threshold is a little bit higher. <laughs> um, so why not try it, you know? If you fail, you fail. You can fail at doing something you're good at too. So mm. there's no point in not trying to just dive head first and if it's a success, then great, and you've just ex- expanded, you know, your career, your knowledge, you've learned something. It's it's like taking up another, you know, another thing at college, you know? Why not try French, right? You know, it's just, it's, it's all part of the, the process and it's something to add to the books and if it works, if it doesn't, it's a story you can tell at a dinner table, you know? I always say to people, it's like, if you go
2: on a date, it's like either a good date or a good story. Yeah, exactly, like, uh, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like the same thing. Win yeah. like yeah. win, win yeah. win. Yeah,
0: that's a really good way to say it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what's been your biggest pinch me moment in this whole entire journey? Do you
0: think? On honestly, I think opening this store was mm. was wild for me because I. It was such a foreign thing. I remember when I decided to do it. So we had a a friend that showed us the space. He was like, I I know that you work with a lot of brands. Maybe you know someone that would be good for this space. Mm -hmm. And I went and looked at it and I was like, oh, fuck it. Let's just do something. Like, I think that I would be able to curate this. And I went home (laughs) and I Googled how to open a retail store, like 101, because I was like, where the fuck do you start? Like, Mm -hmm. what do I need first? Like, what's the POS? How do I credit card? Like, everything was just, I was like, realised there was so much admin behind it. Um, And Opening the store and having that first weekend was so hugely profitable for us. I was like, first of all, why have I not done this up until now? But second of all, like, just being able to, like, accomplish something like that, that it actually – you go shopping all the time and you see hundreds of millions, you know, so many people Mm. have done it. But when I started to go into it, like halfway through it, I was like, this is so much work. How do I back out? Like that kind of thing. But getting the doors open and having it run successfully and like that for me was like a real functioning running business with like all the traditional wheels in place. And that was a a big one for me. I felt like we feel, you know, between Ollie and I, like that was like a, we're pretty proud of that. And who knows where that will end up. Yeah.
2: Um, we've just got a couple of final questions. So, um, the whole premise of our podcast is kind of that this overnight success doesn't exist. And I think you've said before, your success has been built over over a decade.
0: What do you attribute your success to? That's a weird one. but there was a quote actually, just to go back to that that yeah. I once heard, which was my favorite, that every overnight success takes ten years. Mm. That's my favorite one because yeah. it is. I mean, and I don't think that any of my companies are like, by all means, the most, you know, there's nothing about them that's like we've, we've made it, like we're done, like everything's a work in progress and I think any company is always never going to hit the, the end goal and, and whatever it is. So I think having a strong work drive, yeah. like I just keep working just and if there's going. work to do, I'll keep doing it. I'll never just be like, oh, like I, I don't clock off, I don't have a nine to five, so my work is like all encompassing, all hours of night, doing the store, mm. I think I was working like 16-hour days, easy like three weeks straight. I was barely sleeping, the kids and between the kids and all that, but I did it. And I didn't just go, oh, I don't want to do that. And it seemed like too much work. Like I think having a really strong work drive, not switching off. And sometimes that's not a good thing, you know, never to switch off from work. Mm. But knowing that I have these periods of I have to get it done. And I you know, if I don't do it now, I'm not gonna be able to get it done. And it's, you know, just just kind of like that extra, you know, get through that last yeah. mile and where some people would normally drop off. I think just keep going. You know, how do you, you not do.
1: burn out? Like, do you have a reset button? I know
0: for me that summer, like I have this this kind of like this time where I go home and I can travel and visit family and I know when that's, it's kind of like that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So I know that that's coming up. Um, burning out, I think I'm just like living in burnout mode. at <laughs> <point>. <laughs> So I'm like always like I looked, you know, every a lot of people say to me like, oh, you know, how you you doing? And I'm like, yeah. I, I'm like... Fully um, on autopilot, like barely look in the mirror anymore. Like grab whatever's closest to me. I don't. I don't spend a lot of time. I don't. A friend of mine booked a massage for me like four weeks ago, and I've like keep pushing it back because I can't fit in an hour massage. Oh, wow. mm. And she like literally the, the note was please take an hour off, and I just haven't been able to do that. And it's the sweetest thing. I was like, you know what, I might just push it back to October. Like that's where I'm at, <laughs> which is like it's awful, but I just I kind of know where the, the where I'm at. And yeah, you just kind of like keep to running keep with it. Yeah.
1: Mm. And what's next for you and what's next for the businesses?
0: Um, Sync, I mean, we've talked about it, building the next technology and and relaunching it. For all my friends and models, I'm actively trying to find a partner that's going to take it to the next level without me being entirely involved in it because, you know, I want someone to kind of run with that at the same time, but I don't have the time to run it. So I've I've got a really, really interesting partnership kind of in the works right now. Mm -hmm. Um, For the stores, I would love to keep expanding i've had a couple of people reach out to me about opening one in new york doing one in malibu maybe one in australia so the idea of maybe chaining it out a little bit without losing you know what it's about so that's possibly the next one and surf lodge is just another summer ahead We really loved recording this chat with Sasha out in the
2: Hamptons. It was kind of a surreal experience for us, actually. Our biggest takeout from this one. So she was able to make the transition from fashion into tech, an industry she knew literally nothing about because she found the right co-founder to fill in her knowledge gaps. You really can build a business in any industry. You just need to find the right person to complement your skills. You know the drill. Come across to ladybrains.com.au to continue the conversation and find out more info
1: about the podcast and events. Ladyland is hosted by Anna McKenzie and Caitlin Judd. The producer is Brooke Carrigan. Audio production by Matt Nikolic.